Please turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. <coughs> this is what it says. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and for all the flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them on the earth. Look at chapter 8. <clears throat> Look down to verse 18. Now Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast and every creeping thing and every bird and everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the, the smooth, smoothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of the man, of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every, every living thing as I have done. Verse, chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful or multiply. And fill the earth. Dear God, we thank you so much that you have not removed from history these times. So God, we understand that the same enemy, Satan, does the same stuff. And so there's no need to keep writing a new Bible because he's got no new tricks. So Lord, I pray that we would learn from this how important it is to be fathers. So do we, oh God, preserve the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I must admit that years ago when my wife and I were mulling around the house, I was wondering why she was so quiet. And I was sitting at the edge of the bed, and she came to me and she said, we're pregnant. I don't know why, for some reason, that just made me, like, super excited. I had no clue why. I just felt this excitement in me. And then I, <laughs> the realization that the fact that we've only been married three months and here come a child, broke, and all the things that go down the list hit you. You know, getting ready to go to seminary. I'm moving from Arlington, Texas to Dallas, Texas. 
going to be living in my parents' house throughout the transition. So we're going to be moving from Arlington, Texas to Dallas, apartment we can't afford. So we can live with our parents, save up money, I'll work an extra job. That was the plan. And in the midst of this wonderful plan, Dallas Seminary about to start and moving and settling into our parents' house and deciding to just get rid of all the furniture and uh, all this stuff because my furniture was old, man. I tell you, I was definitely a bachelor. I had to tell people when they came to my apartment, I said, you know, I'd be looked so polite. You know, I said, hey, have a seat right here because I knew the other side of the couch had a hole. I was in grad school. I was living in a one-bedroom apartment. And I was in grad school at UT in Arlington, and God switched all of that around. And so I was going to seminary. So I, my focus was school. And I remember that when that hurt, I, you know, you excited, I hugged her, and, you know, she was, so I was just nervous because we weren't planning on having kids. Why are you nervous about it? So I was all excited, trying to encourage her and all this other stuff. And then the next minute I'm going, um, hmm, broke, can't buy nothing, um, hallelujah, praise the Lord, I'm going to go live with my parents while my wife is pregnant, ay, ay, ay. I remember those days, I remember those days, I remember those days, and it's interesting that the days that that was happening, Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary said something that changed my world. That's a great class, hermeneutics, but, and he taught it very well, and everybody flooded to that particular class because he was an excellent teacher. But I remember him saying this one thing in that whole class. Oh, you read the book, you got the notes, you get past the exams, but that stuck with me. He said to me, to all the class, but it was like me, you may have had good fathers, but if you don't ever slow down to learn how to be a father, had no clue how my wife just a few days ago, a few weeks ago said she's pregnant. You will repeat who your father is. And the problem with that is your child is not you. That's the problem. I never forgot how that riveted my life. It's almost like, like I decided at that moment to study who is a father. Because in my essence of looking at things was totally dependent on my father. I had a good father. It wasn't a dad in the sense that he didn't come outside and play ball with me or all that other stuff. He wasn't a dad. He had eight kids. When he came home working in a job that made him have to move around and travel around the city of Guyana, call a city, an outside city called Katy, Kitty, Texas, Kitty, <laughs> Guyana, Georgetown, Guyana, outside of Georgetown. So he came home, and he sometimes had to catch a train, all this other stuff. I'm in the yard playing, got my homework done because my mom had very structured home. So when we grew up, I had a good father, but not a dad. In fact, when my sons are loving on me, I love it, I cherish it. But that feeling, I don't have all that feeling they have towards a dad. Because I didn't have a dad, I had a good father. And so I started thinking through all of those things, and I started thinking to, man, you know, I'm going I'm to be this, I'm going to do this, because my dad did this, and all this other stuff. And I'm going, wait a minute, what does God have to say about being a father? And as I see this world becoming more and more corrupt, when I grew up, there wasn't no Instagram, there wasn't no Facebook, there wasn't no TikTok, or whatever you, TikTok or TikTok or whatever you call it. 
It wasn't none of that stuff. We grew up, we didn't have all these options. We didn't have, you know, we were an eight-track tape. That's what we were doing. And we thought we got something going on on eight-track tape. We were doing CB radios going to college them days. Get on your CB radio, think like you were a trucker until you get off the radio. It was in those days. We didn't have none of that. I see our grandkids, see, see the parents having to watch how they're on, on the phone, garnishing how they watch different programs. We didn't have a whole lot of programs. We had, you know, <laughs> what you call that guy? He passed away. Mr. Rogers. And we found ourselves in the kitchen singing his song. Because we heard that. So we had Sesame Street. Those are things. Noah is a father in a corrupt world. It's evil. Nephilim demons that come possessed man. Took on women. God, Satan was trying to change the earth to be demon man. So when Christ came, he can't save the earth because he has restructured man. So Satan was trying to restructure the earth and make it different. So that at the end of the day, when Jesus Christ comes, it's not a spirit man, it's a demon man. He had corrupted the earth to the point where there was violence everywhere. And here's a man in the midst of that violence that decided to stand. You see, I started to learn that being a father is not just paying the bills. Being a father is not just showing up at home and I ain't got no place else because I'm a good man. I come home after I work. Being a father is not <laughs> coming home and being the leader. started to learn what a father was and how important it was to God's plan. And the first thing I learned in being a father, when I looked at the deficit with a child coming and all the different things financially is that I don't have to produce the money. I have to produce character first. And I want you to see that within this structure, that God is literally saying, I am the provider. I decided I chose your wife. We did that, that sermon a few weeks back. I chose your wife to be a mother. There are many people that can't have kids. But I chose your wife to be a mother. You, you didn't do nothing. I can give a woman a child at 75 years of age, Sarah. I could take a barren woman and have her have a child at whatever age I choose. I decided for your wife to have a child. I decided for you to be a father. So why are you sweating providing for a child that I gave you? Why are you stressing over how good a father you're going to be to this child when I am the one that decided all of this? When did you take care of yourself? I started realizing that the things that I was stressing about are the things that are going to stop me from being a father, not make me a father. It's going to cause me to not be at the house. It's going to cause me to come home stressed and all worried about bills and fussing. It's going to cause me to maybe spank my children when I'm angry and frustrated at a job, not at them. It can damage me being a father if I forget who is the father of all. That's when I started to realize 
The only thing he's causing me, calling me to be is to first stand and be a man of God. Because if I'm a man of God, then he can become the father that they will ultimately have. I started to realize that if I could train our sons to love God, then the person who will always be their father will continue to be their father when I'm just now a friend, when I'm no longer able to spank, when I'm no longer able to punish, when I'm no longer able to change the discipline structure of the house, that the person who is their father that I've guided them to will continue to be their father and they will never go astray. I started to learn that the first thing he's calling me to be is a man of character. So the teaching is taking place implicitly, not always explicitly. I started to learn that that's how he designed the kids, to look at what we did, not what we said. He started to learn that what they were building off of, what they were coming from, was the character of the person, not what they were saying, not how wonderful they dress, not how beautiful the home is, not how nice the car is, not how clean the house is. It's first the kids are looking at how the parents are. How do they solve problems? How do they fix issues in their marriage? How do they go about redealing with finances when the money is tight? Who's making the first sacrifice? Start learning what you see in this passage with Noah. In chapter 6, verse 9, this is what we find with Noah. The Bible is saying that the world was corrupt, the world was damaged, the world was messed up, the world had all kinds of issues in it. It was a problem, so you can't come now and say, man, it's messed up to be a father up in this world today. No, it, it was more messed up in the days of Noah. You can't put the days of Noah to these days and there's any comparison. It was corrupt because it was demon-led. It was demon-led. So that's the reason why... You find this uh, to be something that for this man in this corrupt structure, corrupt to the bone, can then be a man who stood out so tall that God said, let me talk to Noah. Man, could you imagine that? Could you imagine God looking at everything that's happening in the city of Houston and says, hold up a second. Let me talk to this person before I go do what I really want to do. I'm going to stop and talk to this person first. That's exactly what happened in this text. I really want to destroy all a man. He says it. I want to wipe out everybody in verse 13. I am so sick of this. I want, in other words, when we came to this virus, I want to wipe out the earth. People say, why are you stressed out that God can destroy the earth? Because he said he's not going to do it anymore. He said he's not going to do it anymore because of one man who took a stand. In the midst of evil, in the midst of wickedness, to be these four things. Watch these four things, man. And these four things I'm going to show to you today will even bless your house financially. It just bless your house financially. You know, people look at me and they think I got a lot of stuff. And I keep telling them, nope, I don't have a lot. I just believed in the structure. I don't have a lot for this. When you look at what God has blessed my wife and I with, you could say, oh, man, that guy must make a lot of money. Nope, nope, nope. Matter of fact, we just talking about this as elders this morning. Nope, you can't. You can't put whatever God has blessed me to make with what God has given me. You could never do the math and find it. Why? Because early in my fatherhood, I learned this. Broke. <laughs> Piling everything we had into a car, not a U-Haul, and driving into Dallas 
from UT Arlington campus area and finding my way from a roach-infested apartment to live in my parents' house on my way to Dallas Seminary. I had nothing. I had nothing. We could pile everything we had into one car when we moved. Came to Houston the same way. God taught me this. I remember calling my wife and I said, hey, well, I decided which job I'm going to take. I know, you're going to Houston. Yep. The job in Kansas City had a house, wonderful position, wonderful management structure, offering a salary, and I picked Houston that offered me no money, no house, no nothing. Why would you go to Houston? Come on, babe, we got to have this discussion again. That's where the vision God gave me, sitting as a juvenile probation officer in West Dallas Projects, on the stoop, working with broken kids, broken homes, broken marriages, broken everything. That's where he took me. To, that's, that's where that vision takes me to. Houston, not Kansas City. Kansas City is the job. Houston is the vision. I take the vision. But they ain't offering any money. You got to go raise your money. It's not the problem, baby. He taught me that in Arlington, Texas. You see, the first thing that God called us to be is to be upright, not downright, not down-down, not low-down, not broke-down, but upright. Okay? The world is always messed up. Oh, man, it's a messed up world. Don't be down-down don't be or broke-down. He says, no, be upright. Here's how you be upright. Here's the first thing. He says right here in verse 9, he says, these are genera- records of generations. And Noah, here's the key thing, was righteous. Okay, man, <laughs> here you go with this perfect person. No. I'm going to show you that Moses, uh, J- J- Noah wasn't perfect. Look at chapter 9. Noah wasn't perfect. Noah got drunk. He came out of the ark. He did the right thing. After he did the right thing and celebrated God and all this other stuff, Noah went to a hard day of work. Plowing the fields, starting from scratch, because everything is destroyed in the flood. He got to start from scratch. He's working hard. And Noah worked so hard, he decided to relax. And guess what he ended up doing? Getting drunk. Look at verse 20. And Noah began farming and planting a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became what? Drunk. He got so happy, he took off his clothes. (laughs) A righteous man. So what makes a person righteous? It's not perfect. They're going to do everything right all the time. That is not what makes a person righteous. A person that's righteous has these four things in their lives that they make important in their life. They just make it important. If you're going to drive your car, you make certain things important. The keys. Where's my keys? Before you go in the car. You put on your seatbelt. You make certain things important. Where am I going? You get the, and the, and the, the GPS system. Okay, where, 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 what kind of traffic is on the road? What are the timeline for me to get there? Remember make all these decisions and we get there. The Bible is saying if I'm going to live righteous, put on the seat, do the same structure in terms of what makes righteousness righteous. It's not not something that that is just attached to one person. It's not something that is special to anybody. It's a man that decided these four things and he did it consistently and he had a heart to keep doing it. That's it. He's not anybody different. You can't say he was living in a perfect world. That's why he was righteous. He was living in the worst of times. Here's the four things. 
First thing is, I'm going to live God conscious. God knows the intent of the man's heart. We read it. God knows what I'm, gonna, what I'm thinking before I even do it. The only reason that he doesn't, hold, he doesn't make me be accountable in terms of a sin when I think it is because the Bible says I have to know what to do and not do it, then I sin. So the intent, he says, correct it so that you don't do it. So a person who is God conscious is a person who just says, man, God know what I'm thinking, you know what I'm feeling, you know what I really want to say right now, and I better just hold the tongue because I never got saved. So it's wicked and evil. So if I, if I let this tongue start to say what I'm thinking, I'm going to say the wrong thing. So the first thing I'm going to do, since God given me all kind of backup systems with the tongue, he's given me teeth and lips, I'm going to shut it. Because if a person could control their tongue, the Bible says in James, they could live righteous. If they could just control this one little mechanism in their mouth called the tongue, it will let their life become straight. So if I want to be righteous, watch the tongue. If I want to be righteous, be God conscious that, man, God, I already know what I'm going to do. I can't be doing this. So I'm already focused. I tell guys all the time, man. There's certain things I don't do because the Bible says shun the very appearance of evil. Shun the very appearance of evil. I can't do it. I don't, listen to me. I don't question why God is telling me not to do it. Because following God always requires trust. So why is not always the issue? Obedience is. I'm going to tell you something about obedience. The first step to disobedience is delayed obedience. The minute you delay doing something, he got you. Adam, say to this Satan, get out of my wife's face. He delayed. Evil. I just tell my sons that all the time. Take out the trash. Oh, man, Dad. I say, you're already disobeying me. I, I, I didn't say I'm not doing it. No, you're walking around in the kitchen. You're not doing it, so you're already not doing it. I'm going to go do it. No, you, you, ain't, you disobeyed me. How I live God conscious is to understand no break in what I need to do with God. Just do it. And if he doesn't give me an answer to why in the Bible, he's calling for trust. Here's the second thing. Live with a commitment to to be lawful, to be lawful. I'm guilty of the crime of driving fast. And I stopped making excuses. Oh, I'm late. You could have planned your time better. You got to plan yourself in time. Time ain't concerned about you. If you die, time keeps going because God is eternal. So time can't stop when God is eternal. How time is going to stop when God is eternal? So whether you're here or not, time keeps going because it's attached to God. So plan yourself in time. But don't blame the meeting time. You knew that yesterday. So stop making excuses. Be lawful. Just be lawful. It is the law. Put on my seatbelt because it's the law. I'm going to go pay my taxes because it's the law. When I go to the airport, it's embarrassing. Now I make sure I buy pants that don't fall down. So I don't have to go through the screening holding my pants. 
By the time I put the pants together, it's already firm up there. Take off your belt. Do this. I, now I'm going to, I'm, I've gotten all these different things so I don't have to do that anymore. I'm going to get clear. I'm going to get this. So I don't have to deal with none of this stuff. Because literally you go through it and bah! I will never forget this guy in Europe that pat me down. I want to take a shower after he was done. I tell you that, I was, that was, oh man, that was gross. That guy pat me down like, mm, have a, just, just let's move on. That was horrible. When he finished patting me down, I said, I can't catch a plane right now. I need to go get me a hotel and take a shower. This is incredible what he just did to me. And you can't do nothing. You're standing there. And he's having a party. <laughs> but what am I doing? It's lawful, even though it looks lawless. I just do the law. Why? The Bible says God has put the law in place to protect his righteous people. So I do the law. Put on a mask. What are we arguing about? Put it on. It's not the law to take a vaccine, but <laughs> hey. It is responsible. Here's the third thing. The third thing. Focus on doing what, <laughs> what is blameless. I don't know. Back up for a minute. I'll give you one more. Be pure in your thoughts. Be pure. What do you mean? You watch too many movies. Stuff come in your head. Especially when you watch Bang Bang movies. Okay? Stuff floats through your head sometimes. And you got to go, no. This brain is not for sale. You don't see a for sale sign up here. I say no. The Bible says when I keep my thoughts pure, I stay sober. The minute I just let thoughts fly through, well, you know, I just went through this years ago and thoughts just come to my head. The Bible says, stop them. Look at, look at, I'm going to show you. Stop them. And the way you stop them, the Bible says, is you take a verse and you put it against it. It's in the Bible. That's how you stop it. Because we let thoughts just flow through our head. So even though we look like we're walking around pure, we're not. And wives can make you so mad, they bring up some old stuff you thought about, you did 20 years ago because you're mad and you can't do nothing about it. There's something about being married for a long time. They know how to press every button whenever they want. It, it takes a long time for me to get mad. When I get mad, it takes a long time to slow down. But when I, because I got so, uh, one person told me, Cannings, you're dangerous when you're upset because you've gone through so many different things that you've done to make sure that everything is in such order. You've analyzed every conversation to the last drop. So when you get mad, you could come against a person with such literary processes that you make them angry. I said, you're right. Because I'm trying to solve it all the way down the line. I'm trying to fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. And I get to the point where I'm realizing, they don't want to fix it. They just want to get you. And when they just, when I get to the point where they just want to get you because they don't agree with you, I'm going, man. So, but my wife don't have to do that. She can just walk up to me and go, boom. 
I don't really know how that works. So I have to sit back and think, okay, I know, my, I know the thoughts. Stop. I, the Bible, one thing the Bible has taught me, the word that God has taught me is pause before you act. When your thoughts aren't pure, pause. Even if, even if you lose the battle, pause. Because then you stay upright, not downright. So I don't have to fix you. I will hold everything together because staying upright means you trusted me. When you could have lost by just slowing down and taking a minute. I've gone to such extent many times, folks. I'm not perfect at this. I just learned these principles and I work at it. I've gone to such extent, like I shared with you many times, that I can go to be picked up at the airport. No, no woman picks me up. My wife will never have to deal with any drama with her husband. Never. She never have to figure nothing out. I remember somebody saying, I want you to counsel me, but we, we need to meet at Papado's. I said, okay, yeah, you got something. Give me a gift card. I'll eat, and I'll meet you in my office. But I'm not meeting you at Papado's as a woman. Bible says you keep it pure. I've seen many men over the years, not here at Living Words, so don't go there, who would go out to lunch with women and share all their pain. I said, you already committed adultery. Keep it pure. And that if a woman is like undressed while dressed and the thoughts start flowing, the Bible says the first thing you move is your eyes. When you move your eyes, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, it keeps your whole body from being dark. So when it comes to women, righteous man Job, Job chapter 31, Job says, with women dressed like the Taliban, Job says, I took my eyes and I made a covenant with women dressed like that not to look. That's something that the worst times in my life is when I'm relaxed and I'm not thinking of nothing. It's got a lot rolling through my head. I'm not thinking much. That's when my eyes get the best of me. But I always put it at this stop. This is the stop. You're back to number one. The stop is, the Bible says, the minute you start thinking of sleeping with a woman, you've committed adultery already. So the minute you start undressing her, the Bible says, you don't have to sleep with her first. You just have to think like that first. That's why the Bible is saying, keep it pure. Keep your eyes above the shoulder. Keep your eyes in the right place, and it will keep your body pure and your mind pure. This is how this man stayed righteous. A righteous man, Job said it. I took my eyes and I made a covenant. And he was righteous when he said that. So when you go to these steps, like any righteous man did, they guess what? God looked at them and said, in a corrupt situation, you're upright, so you are righteous. Watch the difference. Joseph, he ran. Okay, ain't no man running because he just only, only because he, he ain't feeling something. Okay? Joseph ran. I will not sin against God. Right? The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Right? He didn't say he was righteous. 
So when it comes to eyes, David looked at Bathsheba because the eyes is the gate. Joseph ran. He stayed righteous. David looked. He destroyed a nation forever. The Bible says, when the man stands upright, it saves the world. See, to, to you, you're a father. To you, you're a man. The Bible says, no, to me, you're a leader that saves the world. You are my gate to saving the world. If you ever stop being the man I call you to be, the world is nothing. It's nothing. I made you the gate. So that's why. The second thing you see in Noah was, was blameless. Blameless in the Bible is not, I ain't at fault for nothing. <laughs> that's not blameless. There's times when we're going, to have, we're going to be at fault. We're going to be at fault. The Bible says blameless means I want to live wholesome. See, if, if I'm upright, guess what I'm at? I'm blameless. Why? Because I'm seeking to live wholesome, meaning my mind, I'm trying to keep it right. My actions, I'm trying to keep it right. I am honest. That's one of the things I left out for, for righteousness. I'm honest. I'm honest. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to be honest. So if I'm going to be honest, then I'm going to be blameless. You can't, you could accuse and slander the person for everything, but when you go back and start checking the paperwork and, and doing the audits and doing everything, you find it's right. Because if the person comes out blameless, no matter who people are slandering the person, you will find down the road they're blameless because the audits are right. This is right. That is right. You check this, it's right. You go to the manuals, it's right. You go to this, it's right. So the Bible is saying blameless is not, second thing about blamelessness is not that the person doesn't get blamed, but when you go back to the structure that God has, the, the Bible that God has, the order that God has, the person is walked with it because they're righteous. They're blameless. Here's the next thing he was. I want, I'm going to take you to some verses because I want you to see men that this man came out the ark with a bunch of animals and this man became rich. How does he come to nothing and become something? See, we, 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 we don't realize. This is my, I wish I could, sometimes I've tried. But this is, this is what I want us to see. We, we, we're so stuck on a world that has us thinking a certain way that when God is saying renew the mind, peace to you, God, you're crazy. Where in the Bible did it say that the job will provide for my needs according to its riches? Where? It doesn't. So why am I going to work? That's a question that the Bible answers. It got nothing to do with making me wealthy. There's a plan for that. See, look at what he says here. He walked with God. Did God walk with him or he walked with God? He walked with God. I, I, I love that because the Bible is saying when, when, when Noah was walking with God, it was a complete decision in his mind that he says what he's going to do all the time, and he doesn't have the entire Bible. But whatever God says to him, yes, God. No questions asked. Get it done, God. Okay, God, what's the next up? That's why I call people like this in the New Testament, they call them soldiers. They just take orders. They don't, hear, they don't want to hear about how many bullets are flying, how many bombs are going off. They don't want to hear about how bad things are. What are the orders? He walked with God. 
meaning he had an intimate relationship with God, and he had complete respect for what God said. That's what God is calling us to be. I hated spanking my kids. Hated it. But I give them four things. Warning. Punishment. I go down these things, and you're still here. You forced me to spank you. I hated it. I used to, when they finish spanking them and they're crying, I go hug them. I love you. You know, my wife is looking at me like, yeah, hate this. I used to feel it inside of me. I just hate this. Why am I beating on my child? I love my child. This is my, this is my, this is my son. I do anything for my boys. I love them. Period. Done. Wrap. I used to say, my kids have stole my heart. I don't own it anymore. I, I don't own it. I don't own my heart. My kids own it. They could ask me anything. So long as it's right, it's done. I always would say that to myself when I realized my sons were growing up. So my God, they own my heart. See, in spite of the fact I felt that, God, I respect your word. You see, when we don't respect what God has to say, because we, we think we know more. That's what this world tricks us at. Got so much education, so much stuff, we think we know stuff. We don't know nothing. Well, I'm the best. Of, <laughs> uh, I don't pick on nobody up in here. What am I going to say? I'm the best manager ever. What do you got to manage in heaven that is attached to your company? You manage angels in heaven. You don't manage stuff. What are we stressing for? That's why when God is speaking, we, if we commit to be righteous and blameless, we would so quiet the noise, we'll be ready to just walk with him. That's, I test myself on that many times. Hey, are we going to go to Africa last year? Until he tells me, no, I'm going. Babe, we need to talk. Yeah, no problems, babe. But sometimes you have to deny your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband to follow Christ. He told me to go. Until he tells me when not to, I'm going. You see, why? Go to Psalm 128. To, be, to stand is the first, here's the key thing, is the first commit to have God stand in you. You cannot stand as a man when God isn't standing in you. That's like being a balloon with a lot of air. The minute something hits you, you pop. But if you're standing with God standing in you, that's solid. When things hit you, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He comes out of your blood because he stands in you. Don't be a balloon full of hot air. So one day you're good, another day somebody took the air out. Somebody said something, did something, took the air out. Oh, we all get there. But I get back up and I go, no, Lord. Stand. Standing is brutal. Habakkuk would stand. 
And Habakkuk was fighting with God. God, you can't do this. You can't let it happen. Standing is brutal. Wives get mad. Wives think you're going to do all kinds of things. Wives sometimes threaten to leave you. Kids are angry. Standing isn't easy. That's why the Bible says, be strong in the Lord. Put on his armor. Because you can't stand without God standing in you. You can't. You can st- and it's interesting how we would stand with a football team when they're losing. But we can't stand with God when he's always a winner. Just because he tests our faith. Here's a man that stood. I want you to see how God blessed him and he didn't talk. Nothing about a job. Psalm 120 says, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, when he will eat the fruit of of, of your labor. You will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife, he's obviously including the man here, your wife shall be a fruitful vine. You got to worry about having babies. Within your house, your children, like olive plants, they'll come back and bless you. Olive plants are huge for oil, lamps, there's no electricity. Olive plants are able to use as medicine to heal people. Your kids will come back and bless you around the table. In other words, when they leave the house, they come back not broke. They come back with resources to bless you. He says, behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord will bless him from the church house. Not a righteous man ain't going to violate church. They're not going to skip church. They're not going to cause the family to not come to church. A righteous man is going to be there. Not an option in his house. A righteous from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. That's why I'm saying, when a man stands, he holds a city together. When a man stands, he holds a nation together. When a man stands, he holds the world together. Find that in a woman. Nowhere in the Bible. The reason this world is falling apart is not because of the evil people. It's because we as men need to stand. Stand for something, they would always say. A fall for everything. I say stand for something. Stand for God and nothing falls. It may look like it's falling, but it ain't going nowhere. Say, God will test you. That's why I believe in male leadership in the church. It's not a dominant thing. It's not a chauvinistic thing. Is that when women don't have that man at the house, they got men at the church that are godly men. So they don't, they don't use the woman to use the child to get to the woman. None of this stuff. They help the child because their hearts are right. Because their hearts are right, the child gets help. It's not a, a vehicle to the woman. That's why I believe in male leadership in the church. It's not a chauvinistic thing. Not a, I, I have such high regard. I got no sisters that are, that, that, are, that are doing nothing. All my sisters are educated, doing good, own their own businesses. Dr. Evans' wife, Lois Evans, she just about partnership with him and built that ministry. She wasn't just going along with it. She helped to do it. My wife is a strong woman, a productive woman. My mom was a strong I don't, I don't know weak women. I've never been around a weak woman. It's not about weak women and women can't do stuff. I don't even know who that woman is. I've never been around that person. It's about God's order. A woman can have a baby and a man can't. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Praise his name. I quit complaining about pain when I saw that. All my sports days, I said, no, I had no pain. 
But a man was raised a child. It's just the order of God. It's not a chauvinistic thing. The Bible says there's no difference between male, female, bond, and free. There's no person below somebody because they're a leader. He didn't say you're a ruler. He says you're a leader. Stand. A woman is chosen. A man saves the world. But first saving is house. That's why I fight. That's why I would lead living word. I never back away from it. Because I understand the importance of standing. Look at what he says. Indeed, you will see your children's children. And all the mess that's going on on this earth, you create peace. Look at Psalm 112. The problem with our earth is not the sinners, not the Republicans and Democrats. The problem in our world today is we need men to stand and be men. Well, I had no dad in my house. Well, you got God. I had no dad in my house. Well, you got a bunch of leaders in the church that are supposed to be godly men, not perfect men. Where's the excuse now? We've used that excuse too long. We use it way too long. If you want to become a man, God has put up all kind of backup systems to make that work. It's just your choice. Psalm 112 says, praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Watch this. It's impacting the world all the time. Impacting the world. Impacting the world when a man stands. He says, wealth and riches are in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. So that's why, folks, back to Genesis chapter 8. He says this. <laughs> Genesis chapter 8, he says, when a man stands, I stop. Take notice of that man because that man just saved the earth. earth. See, you could come to this virus and go, man, a lot of people died. If this man... In Genesis chapter 6, did not choose to be an upright man and stand. We could have all been dead. And I'll prove it. We could have all been dead if God did not make this covenant with Noah. He said, Harvey was bad. If God did not make the covenant with Noah, there will be no place to run in Houston. All of Houston, Katy, Texas, Woodlands, every place would have flooded. This man saved the earth. That's how important you are. I don't care how beat down people may make you feel. You ever wonder why people want to beat down the man? Who do you shoot first when you rob a bank? The security guard, if you don't know. Because who's the one that has the gun? He does. If I take out the gun, I got the bank. If I take out men, I got the world. That's why Satan keeps beating down men. And you, some of you women, you want to tear them down because they this, they that. They uh, find fault with everything. Because you got to put the man down. He don't want to do nothing but sit on the couch. Go to your mama. Go to your mama. Go to your mama. If a woman is happy, the house is happy. That's a messed up deal. I ain't bought that yet. My wife came home with that one day and I go, no, not here. The woman is happy, the house is happy. No, y'all can be miserable. 
and the house was happy. That's a cold way to say it. It's the truth. I can be miserable. And there's something about a woman, though. A man can be miserable, and a woman can be just as happy as ever. I never bought that. I never let it in my house. Babe, I can't keep trying to make you happy to make the house happy. We're going to all work together to make a great home so we could all be happy. Genesis chapter 8, about out of time here, so I got to speed up. I know you all don't believe that, and you shouldn't. Here's the first thing we learn about a man when he's righteous, how blessed he becomes because of this thing right here. In verse 20, Noah built an altar to the Lord God and took every clean animal, animals probably had babies and all that, and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. Whew, wish I had time. I always mess up on time. Bad habit. It is a habit. And it's bad for y'all. You're Americans. I get it. How do you come out of an ark that you've been in for 40 days, that you took years to build, you're preaching your heart out day after day, people mocking you, laughing at you when you're building the ark, you pick all these animals and God helps them to go into the ark, you then have to build all this stuff out, you're doing this with your sons and that's it, you're doing this night and day, this is your job, you're not like you get to go do this and that, this is your job, night and day. And then when you come out of the ark, the first thing you're going to go do is go to church? What? And you, you didn't just, you didn't bring a sin offering. You didn't bring a trespass offering. You didn't bring a peace offering. You bring a burnt offering. You know how much work it is to bring a burnt offering? How much work that is? Burnt offering is using every bit of the animal. That's why Abel was blessed and Cain wasn't. It's every bit of the animal. You take in this whole animal and you got to cut it up. Then you got to take, and altars are built on mountains. You're taking bricks up to mountains with your sons and laying this around on a mountain. You just came out the ark, dude. Once you want to just chill out, find a beach, get drunk first, <laughs> not last. No. A man that's going to build his house is always sold out to God's house. And when he sold out to God's house, God taught me something with that. If our kids would give their lives to Christ, if our kids would surrender their life to Christ, give their heart to Christ, surrender all they have to Christ, then I don't have as much work to do raising kids. I don't. Why? Because they're disciples of Christ. Since they're disciples of Christ, it's easy for me to lead them the way God needs to lead them. So if I, if I made church important in the children's ministry, that's why it's the first ministry established at Living Word, thanks to my wife, on the floor in a school in a pair of jeans teaching kids was the children's ministry. Because if you could get the children involved, that's why I don't let this church ignore them and stick them in the back and they do nothing at church. Get kids involved and they start seeing this is a part of life. I, we can never forget the story where the man was saying, hey, to all the kids in the class, this preacher asks a question, hey, listen kids, what do you think about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how people should live righteous? And the kids were raising their hands, and this one boy looked at him for a while, and he raised his hand, and he goes, what do you say, boy? 
He says, but that's just all my family does. I mean, what do you mean that what should people do? This is what they do. What a testimony. This is what I've grown up with. And that story grabbed me because this is what I grew up with. I grew up with this is what we do. It's not, it's not, I had a hard time figuring out a call to ministry because I've always been doing it. That's why, how does Tony Evans marry my sister? We were in the church having so much time at the church doing different things. We the family he ends up connected with and we the family he comes to the house to visit. We thought he was visiting us. We know the truth now. <laughs> he saw our sister and it was a rap. I had to ask him, are you on a mission trip? Because you always at our house. I understand. That's it. What was it? My brother has a, a place in Nacogdoches, Texas, helping kids after school. My sister with Tony Evans. My other sister, she preaches all over Europe. I go on the list. My other sister, Bernice, she is the one, the travel agent, and serves in a church in a, in a television ministry. That's what we did. See, he took his sons to an altar. He took a burnt offering, which means after he finished building, building the altar, he takes a burnt offering, which means God, crazy here. Burnt offering means, God, I'm giving you my all. I sacrifice everything to you. I'm using this animal as a sacrifice of everything, burning up the whole animal so that the whole animal is gone into ashes to show you my complete surrender to you. That's what a burnt offering is. Not a peace offering, not, not, not a sin offering. He's saying, no, 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 God. I want you to know since I can't burn myself and still live, I am taking this animal, using every part of this animal. I'm going to burn it all to tell you I'm all to Jesus. I surrender. That's the man that saved the world. Look at this. Go to chapter 9. We're out of time. Look at this. In chapter 9, the Bible says, And God blessed Noah after the burnt offering, after his surrender. Oh, no, 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 no. It's after he stayed in the ark. Where are you going to go? No, it's after he came out of the ark and made God important. God says, I bless you. Wait a minute, God, you should have blessed me. I'm a righteous man. Don't you bless me before the, the, the flood started? Don't you bless me before everything is going on? No, 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 no. God says, no, I blessed you when you obeyed me. I blessed you when you kept doing what I said. No matter how long, how many years it said, you kept doing it over and over again because you walk with me. You choose to be blameless. You choose to be a man of God and to be righteous. You choose to function this way. And because you choose to function this way, and then you come out and then you bless me, I will now bless you. I will now bless your sons. I will now fill the earth. Because you did that, the earth is gone to be saved. Come on, folks. Watch the difference real quick. Go to, ch go to chapter 5, verse 29. Watch the difference. Watch the difference. And he says in verse 29, and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord had cursed. Look at chapter 6. Chapter, chapter 6, verse 6. <laughs> look, at, look at the difference. Look at the difference. And God was sorry that he made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. 
And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created. Just got you saying, look at man, they're working, they're doing good. A few verses down, a few years down, I am sick and tired of how man is. I want to wipe them all out. And I, I plan to do it. But this one man named Noah, I can't just go do it. You know, I, I want to go and tear down Sodom and Gomorrah. But I've got to go to Abraham. Because Abraham is a righteous man. I can't just go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and not talk to Abraham. You not understand me. You see, we look at this earth, we look at all the mess in this earth, we look at all the problems in this earth, we look at all the issues in this earth, and God is saying, oh, if I could just find a man, I don't have to have hundred of them, I don't have to have five thousand of them, just give me one. If you give me one man that would stand and do what I say, a stand and walk with me, a man that would take his family when his sons are with him, they're going to the altar. When his sons are with him, they're doing a burnt offering with him. When his sons are with him, they help him build the ark. When his sons are with him, they establish the ark. Their sons, he's leading his sons, he's leading his family. This one man took a stand. And because of you, Noah, I will never... Destroy the earth like that again. You see, you sit here today glad the virus didn't touch you. But there was one man named Noah that took that 600 and something thousand people that died and not let it be 7 billion. One man in the midst of evil, wickedness, corruption, all kinds of evil that are taking place in our earth. God could be just as sick as in the day of Noah. But there was one man. It just grips my heart. He could just find one man that would stand. God would say, back up Houston. Living word, you're going to make it. Your house will survive. Just one man. See, folks, we, <laughs> we have made church so high that it makes us so broke inside. When God is saying church is so low, it should lift you high. It's a gift of encouragement. It's a gift of mercy. It's a gift of knowledge. It's a gift of wisdom. The Bible is not trying to tear you down. God is trying to build you up. And he's using the church to do that. He's using his word to do that. He's using the Holy Spirit to do that. But what has Satan made all those things? Irrelevant. He got money, status, house, car, recognition. And you got it. What does that make us do? Miss church, tired. Can't serve, busy. What Satan is doing is using the world to steal it from one man so he could destroy it. Just one man, God says, take a stand. Where you get that from, Jesus? God, one man on a cross could save the world. 
Men, you're just not men. I understand. I'm a man. I grind through life. The way my brother put it, Paul, you landed in America and you put your boots in the ground. That's a soldier for you. I understand. I understand how painful life can be. You have no clue what I've been through. But it's one thing I would say when I walk in the doors. My sons will hear it. Oh, mom, mom and you arguing, dad, y'all okay? Son, you would never have to worry about your dad walking out that door. Never. And you would never see me on no couch. You may see your mama there. But you ain't going to see me there. I will respect you that you're mad, but I appreciate it if you stay in this room. But I respect that you're upset. And I will give you that respect. But I ain't going to no couch. My boys will not get up in the morning, and the only way they'll see me on that couch is praying. They will never see me laying there with a, with a pillow and a blanket. Folks, no matter how mad we get, I'm standing guard in my home. And guys, I did some things in my house to make that visible. I was the last to go to bed every night. I was the first to wake up. I made sure my kids were going to church, not my wife. There's certain things I did because I know every more than you know that without God, I'm nothing. So the only way I can do something is if I stand. Let us stand.